This is the Dawson D Show, and you're tuning in to episode 102, featuring the inspiring Don Elgin. Don Elgin is an absolute hero amongst us Aussies and represented Australia at three Paralympic Games, medalling four times. He won silver at Athens 2004 and bronze in both Athens and the famous Sydney Paralympics in 2000. But outside of just the Paralympics, Don's athletic career speaks for itself with an impressive record at the IPC Athletics World Championships, most notably winning gold in Berlin. But beyond all his amazing sporting accolades, it's Don's heart, attitude and story that touches so many people worldwide and that's exactly what you're going to hear today. Don shares his emotional story with us of being born without a thumb and a lower part of his leg and the difficulty he faced as a child. From being horrendously bullied to contemplating the method he would take his own life, it wasn't easy for Don. But the shift in perspective his family gave him kick-started both Don's athletic career and life mission, which now you'll never meet a happier guy with a stronger mindset. This chat had it all. Don shared some amazing tips on goal setting, how to overcome failure, victim mindset and how to break out of it, as well as some laughs and highlights of his sporting career. He shared behind the scenes of the amazing Sydney Olympics and what the feeling is when you actually medal at one, but also the downs an athlete faces when it doesn't go their way. And keep an ear out, guys, for what really goes on at the Olympic Village. You know what I mean. So get ready to take notes, have a laugh, and feel grateful and inspired by the one and only Don Elgin. Welcome to the Doss and D Show. Smashing societal pressure and unlocking your secret ambition. Now, Doss, are you ready for our next interview? Deep. I'm ready. Now let's go balls deep. Okay, Doss, we're rolling. I'm watching it. It's definitely recording. How good is this? We've got the amazing Don Elgin. I just want to hear your turn of events for what happened last time you were in this building. Because so, this place looks familiar to you, doesn't yeah. it? Well, it does somewhat look familiar. I mean, I'm, I was pretty sure last time when I was here, there was lights and said, record, 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 <laughs> and everything was good. We were recording in a way, and then I, I get this panic phone call from the boys going, Don? We've stuffed it up. <laughs> and I love that because, you know, honestly, owning a stuff up just means that we get a chance to hang out together. So exactly. I'm good for that. That's what we did on purpose, mate. Yeah. We just were so inspired last Strategic. time we needed to hear from you again. So uh, here we go. Very smart. Mate, we were just talking off air. We could talk all day. We'd love to go from the very start. You were born without a finger and a leg. Yeah. Can you explain... A bit about the story. Yeah, absolutely. It's a weird story. Very weird. Uh, what's weird is that I was born in Donald in country Victoria and I'm named after my dad. My dad's name's Donald. <laughs> my name's Donald and I was bloody born in Donald. That's weird, right? And I've got a sister called Donna. So that... <laughs> <Are you serious? laughs> yeah, true story. That's how I told you it was weird. Yeah. So, but for me, the, uh, the real win was the head start and that was my parents' attitude. So, although I was born without my thumb on my left hand and I now have a thumb and anyone who tunes into the audio that they'll say oh yeah that's good but when you watch the visual when you see this thumb you'll go that's not really too good for hitchhiking but anyway i've never <laughs> been able to pick up with it yet the uh, my fingers on both my hands were stuck together and like they were webbed and my leg below the knee was it just never formed so there was a blob on the bottom of it mm. which was basically my foot but for somewhere along the line there's a bit of research not a lot but the suggestions that maybe there was amniotic band syndrome which is where basically if you think about like little ringworms or or you know bands inside the womb and they attach to the fetus and then it stops that that growth so okay. whether that was the real deal whether it was some chemicals that were sprayed in a paddock beside 
my parents' house when I, my mum was born. Yeah. Who like I wouldn't have a bloody clue. And yeah. honestly, the, what I love is my parents didn't waste. When I say waste time, they didn't they didn't spend any time trying to find out why. They just said, "Well, stuff it, mate. That's your card. Yeah, get on with it." You know, it's not growing. Even we find out it's not growing back. So I got stuck into life as much as you can when you're you know three years of age and you're taken to the children's hospital and. Uh, Doctors look at you and go, right, we've got a few issues here. But um, fortunately, we thought most of them were cosmetic, like on the outside. Yep. Until I went in for one surgery about four years of age and they found out that I had a dodgy heart. I needed open heart surgery at about four years of age, but got all that sorted. And, mate, I've been good as gold ever since. So uh, like a lot of operations, it's come with a, it's come with a few things that sort of – a bit of baggage though so as you imagine as a kid who's having tons of operations i have a phobia of needles like i hate needles so people say oh you do something often enough you get good at it or used to it bullshit like i hate (laughs) needles mate so this last couple of years of the pandemic and people just like so every time there's a needle get your jab it's like get stuff mate so (laughs) i mean admittedly i'm I'm all vaxxed up but the the watching somebody get a needle on tv or in a magazine or anything i have to look away so i really really? the smell of that schwab that they you know yeah like even the bloody rubbing flashbacks it's just it's not for me so anyway (laughs) apart from the the crappy stuff i'm good as gold so uh, yeah that was the interesting start to laugh well well, you genuinely are one of the most positive people I think both of us have ever met. The positivity that you just can't help but be excited about life when you're in your presence. And I'm sure it wouldn't have always been that way. Like going back to when you were a kid, how did you cope, especially through school? I know you said about your parents and their attitude, but how did you, there must have been a hurdle to get over. Yeah, there was. Uh, I, I must admit, I was, I've had plenty of opportunities in life to have those little wake-up calls to what you think should happen and what actually happens what reality is so I remember my very first day of school my brother said mate you're gonna love it you know my brother and my older sister already at school and and I got two younger sisters by the way and all those guys have got all their bits I'm the only one in the family missing bits so I was a bit (laughs) like the you know the random boy that and we kept telling my sister she was adopted but if you actually had a look around (laughs) I was probably the the least likely you know they got all their bits but anyway the very first day of school my brother said school is awesome and this was my first day of disappointment and it's because when I got to school I was ready to go and play sport like my brother was doing I was ready to do the cool stuff and I got to school and by lunchtime on the first day I'm sitting down the playground I'm bawling I hated school my brother come up to me in the sand pit he put his arm around me and said Donnie what's wrong mate why are you sucking I said, it's not fair. I said, they're all teasing me. They call me names like Skippy and Jake and Eileen. And I didn't realise how funny Eileen is for a nickname for a leg amputee. It's a bloody good one. Anyway, but at the time when you're a little preppy, like, mm. that sucks. You just know you're different. Yeah. Actually, and, do, do you know Jake? Do you know, do you know why he'd get called Jake? No. Is it Jake the Peg Leg? Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, Jake the Peg with the extra leg. So yeah, there was, it was a, like a song, wasn't there was it? A, oh, there was, yeah, yeah. So would they sing the song and Oh, it got everything, mate. So Bloody hell. The kids are asses. But the truth is, kids are kids. Yeah. And and what I didn't realise is that kids don't stop being kids. What we have to do is we have to learn how to cope with the world we live in. And and the truth is, in an ideal world, and we do really well of it in society as we go and change things and we, we put political correctness, we put yeah. uh, protections and laws. Kids don't even know how to bloody read, but they do know how to defend themselves. They do know how to, to take the spotlight off of them if they're different and, and point out and try and get an advantage. I mean, because that's what happens in life. Yeah. You know, for as long as we're alive, people 
people will attempt to to get ahead and some people will do that at the expense of others and all these sort of behaviors they're happening right from the childhood and they're mirrored often by what happens at home so my advice is that exactly the same advice i got from my parents was just if you ignore them long enough they'll go away because they won't get the result but as a little kid at school i wasn't interested in bloody ignoring them i wanted to punch on i said to my brother i said let's bash them up and he said, we can't do that. I said, why not? He goes, you're in prep, mate. We can't just go bashing people up. Yeah. But anyway, what we did is I took my footy to school the next day and I was kicking with my brother and it was just the two of us kicking. And then before long, kids were coming over and having a kick with us and, and they realised that I was just like everybody else but didn't have a leg. And probably the great thing for me is that it was that approach of just just having a crack, just falling over, just fitting in and not in my house – we never put the spotlight on the fact that I didn't have a leg. The only time it was obvious was when I'd come to Melbourne to get a new leg, apart from that, or come and have an operation. Apart from that, mm. my parents said, you're one of five, mate. You're all equal, just buddy, get out there. Do what your brother's doing, do what your sister's doing. And so words of disabled and special and handicapped, and you guys are in the sector. Like mm. these are, There's a place for words like that that help us identify and, and, and get by, but we never use those words. Mm. So for me, I just grew up with this belief that I was like everyone else. Like yeah. I, I didn't realise that I was I was actually different, apart from when the kids pointed that out to me yeah. at school. And so when you're not equipped with being able to deal with it, sometimes it can bloody cut pretty deep. Yeah, so, of course. Yeah, you know, I absolutely had times as a kid where I really struggled with just being me. Like I, I really didn't like the fact that I was – there was a time when I actually wanted my brother to have the one leg or one of my sisters. Like, yeah. There was three of them. I thought, bloody, why couldn't it be one of them? I actually asked that question to my dad. I said, why me? You know, and I'd always ask, really interestingly, I'd always ask that question of why me when I was feeling sorry for myself. And I always felt sorry for myself when my leg was sore. So if my leg was sore, I got pissed off. Like I just, I was angry. Mm. And I remember this one day, we, I'd finally made it into the Tote footy, uh, the, our Tote public school in the footy team. It was off to go and play the, the Catholic school. And then it all began again. Like all that bullying, just bang, they hit me on that day. It was like I was the little freak show that went to the other school. And the school just like, it wasn't this, but it felt like this to me. It felt like the whole school had been given a little card going, the kid with one leg, give it to him. Yeah. So that day I went home, I was 11 and I was struggling because I thought, shit, I can't handle this. And I was struggled so much that I was sitting down in our kiosk at, at the caravan park and dad walked in, I was crying. I said, I was lost for words. And then I said, dad, why me? And what he said, in my opinion now as a father of four, was a stroke of genius. He didn't put his arm around me and wrap me up and give me a big cuddle and say it's going to be okay. He knew that I was at a crossroad, and I was at a crossroad because I was actually contemplating which way I would take my own life. So at 11 years of age, get your head around that. That's a, that's a really shitty space yeah. in life. And it was because I couldn't cope. I said, Dad, why me? And he said, well, why not you, mate? You've got a good attitude. You can deal with it. Mm. It's only a bit of your leg. So there were three facts. Bang, bang, bang. He just gave to me. And I thought, okay. And then he just wandered off. I thought, holy shit, I'm struggling here and you've just hit me with that. So then I thought, righto. What did he say? He said, I've got a good attitude. Okay, if dad says I've got a good attitude, I must have a good attitude because he's bloody no shit, right? And then I thought, it's only a bit of your leg. Yeah, actually, imagine if it was, imagine if it was both my legs. 
Imagine if it was both my legs, both my arms. All of a sudden, I started doing this mental arithmetic for all the shit that could go wrong. And then I'll come out on top and go, it's only a bit of leg. Hang yeah, on a minute. This wow. is not so bad. And he goes, you can deal with it. So then I've got the, I can deal with it. Righto? Got a good attitude. It's only a bit of leg. I can deal with it. So at that moment, I literally flicked the switch on my life. And probably what I realize now is I stopped being a victim. Mm. And I started owning it and going, right, this is my card. How do I play it? So when you say today that I sit here happiest bloke alive, like I, I seriously, I am. Yeah. I'm so grateful to be alive today because if I had my way at 11 years of age, I might not have been. And so wow. I'm so glad I didn't do that. I'm so glad I didn't have my way. But more importantly, I'm so glad I get to practice gratitude every day going, you bloody ripper. You know, yeah. I've got another day. It's only a bit of leg. Game on. Yeah. So my approach to life now is if I get to the end, whenever that might be, and I've just lost, you know, I've gone through life with just a bit of leg missing. Well, haven't I bloody got out of this well? You know, I, <laughs> yeah. I feel like I've sort of cheated the system a bit. So wow. I'm pretty happy Amazing. about it. It yeah. sounds like your mum and dad had a profound impact. Like, Huge. Especially yeah. listening to that, like that moment with your old man. That's almost why you've got the mindset that you do, partly. I'd be keen to hear about parenting now a little mm. bit. And we were talking about this earlier and we were wondering if this might get brought up around... Currently in 2022, do we like, you know, I was listening to a podcast the other day and they were talking about, say, footy and under, under nines to under tens and they don't score. And, oh, kill and, me. And, 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 every, and, every, and, every, and every kid gets, you know, <laughs> it was actually very funny to listen, but like, you know, you give the awards out after every, uh, every game and he goes, the, the coach had already pre-written the note before, the night before because <laughs> yeah. it's, it's set up so every kid gets a go. Like, and and uh, avoiding failure. Avoiding yeah. failure. And... And, and lack of resilience because of this. Would be interested to hear you. Mate, we are going to really struggle, and not so much here today in 2022, but in 2032, when these young boys of, and girls at nine years of age get to 20, 21, 22, and they're out of the bubble of, of mum and dad doing everything for them at school, and they're now in the real world of society. Society's rough, mate. And, and you fail. And, and if you don't know how to fail, if you haven't been taught that that is part of life, then you're struggling. So when we talk about a crisis, so this COVID pandemic, right, when the world shut down, and that's a big bloody issue, right? Yeah. I actually, when it kicked in, I felt like I had been preparing my entire life ready for this moment. And it's weird, but that was my mentality is because I've dealt with setback. Okay, it's a setback. I've dealt with things not going my way. I've dealt with change overnight, all, all these things. And so I go, okay, what about the people that haven't dealt with that? How are they going to cope with this? And we saw panic buying. We saw, you know, we, mm. you can't go anywhere now without being reminded to be respectful. Well, we never used to have that. Why have we gotten so angry all of a sudden? Because people haven't been taught resilience people haven't been taught how to cope with setback and so not scoring we're kidding if we think and this is the funny thing it's the adults are the only ones that are saying we're not scoring the kids all bloody know who's oh, in they know uh, yeah. mate, before the bell goes they don't know how many stupid. touches oh, they've yeah. got exactly yeah, correct so sometimes we've got to get out of our way of ourselves and let things happen a bit and, yeah. and tough love I'm absolutely a fan of tough love I mean the key to the whole tough love is love if it comes from the right place then and it's the same as asking questions I mean you blokes are both in the in the disability sector right so you will be exposed to people every day out of your good nature to choose to go and help other people you'll be exposed to things that you're just bloody not sure on 
And if you keep that I'm not sure approach, then you're not really going to do the best by yourself or the other people. But if you have the courage to ask a question, the question comes from the right place, sure, every now and then we might offend somebody along the way. But the truth is, we're going to be better for it. We're going to be educated and informed and we're going to be able to make better decisions based on that. So not asking questions, Mm. not failing, not, not scoring, for me, they're all setting us up to ultimately fail in the long run. What I would love to say is even though we might have had a a tough period with this COVID in the last couple of years, everybody has now just been educated about resilience. If you've gotten through that last couple of years, particularly in Victoria, and you've been locked down, then you now know that you're more resilient because you can get through that. And that's what resilience is. It's about falling over and getting back up. It's about having a setback and coming back from it. But if we never have them, if we're sheltered from them, then we don't get that resilience. We don't get those muscle memories to go, this is how I got through the last time. This didn't kill me. This is not Mm. the end of the road. This is just a setback. When setbacks happen, and they will in life, in all sorts of spaces in life, what we're not used to. But the truth is being able to bounce back and go, right, we've got this. And often the truth is we don't bounce back. We actually bounce forward. We bounce to where we need to go. So my advice is that, you know what, think about the bigger picture. And then as parents, and, and I get it, you know, sports should be fun for everyone, but it's not fun if, it's, if it doesn't reflect what we're, our heroes are doing on telly, if it's not fun if we can't do what they're doing. Yeah. So we need, to, we need to be real, keep mm. it real. I'm interested to sort of dive into your mindset too when it comes to when you do hear somebody say, why me? Like, how do you feel? Do you feel resentment? Do you feel empathy? I'm just interested to hear, yeah, your yeah, actual I, I, I like that because I think... It's fair enough. I absolutely, I never judge other people because the truth is, oh, I don't know what anyone else has gone through. Yeah. I don't know if they've had a childhood 20 times worse than mine. It's not even a body competition. You know, no. their story is their story, their journey, and, and that's entirely up to them. What I say is ask that question. Ask the question of why me, but don't forget to answer the bloody thing. Yeah. Don't forget to, to say, right, oh, well, why me? And what do I like? What don't I like? What am I going to keep, delete and change? And in our life, we have the power to do that. We have our power today, right this very moment, mm. to decide if everything we've ever been taught and believed is going in a box on a shelf. And we'll leave it there. Thank you very much. I'm going to start a new life. And if you want some examples of when those moments happen, the greatest example is you finish school. You finish high school. Like, go back and have a look if you're as connected to the people that, one, you didn't even know and like at high school. The truth is you're not. No. We bloody move on. We don't. We, we completely change. We move state. Some people decide, right, oh, that was the family that I was raised in, but it's not the one I want to roll with going yeah. forward. See you later. And that's okay. We have that the capacity. The university, you finish uni, mm. you throw your hat in the, up in the <laughs> air, you go, bloody giddy up, and then you go, right, what's next? And... Clearly, you've then got another milestone moment in your life to make another decision. Mm. And and that decision can be quite profound and change everything. I see it in sport. People that win grand finals go to the Olympics, the Paralympics. Often what happens at the end of the Paralympic Games is you have this massive big lull in your life, a big sort of depressive thing because you've just had the pinnacle. You've been in a stadium with the best athletes in the world. You've bust your ass for four years to get there or longer and you you get this moment. It it lives up to expectation, particularly if you've performed well. Then at the end of that, if you haven't got some new goals or something else set going forward, now it's deflating. It's like... A massive climax to to a lull 
And it's like, right, what are we going to do with life? And so we start questioning everything. There's so many more. I'll tell you what, you want to do a bit of research? Do some research how many people get divorced after an Olympics or Paralympics. And there's the suicide rate after the Olympic Games or Paralympics. Like, that's something that we don't hear about much at no. all. Oh, is, I've never heard anything about that. that it, you, and you won't. But do you know there was, uh, oh, how long ago? It was probably about five years ago, the, the count of athletes that had committed suicide after the Sydney Games, it was staggering. Wow. And it's staggering because they weren't supported. And so what you'll know now is sport have worked out that they need to support people. Have a look at the drug dependencies that happen after someone retires. You know, all these things, they all... They're as a result of not looking at the bigger picture and going, okay, after this climax, there's a lull. If you don't have goals or something else to step to, then you just go, shit, where are we at? Yeah. On, and, that, on that though, mm. going to an Olympics or a Paralympic Games, like it takes your whole focus, doesn't it? It's, like how do you have time or energy to put into other things in life is that a reality like yeah absolutely so if you think about this now right there was a time when afl let's go to afl because it's a really easy one afl players they had jobs they were flat out with other jobs and then afl turned professional then they were getting paid to play yeah and so they said right if you're getting paid we don't want you going being a plumber and bloody working we want you fresh when you get to training so then they didn't have jobs and then what happens is the players then had time on their hands because you can't train 24 7 it's not healthy you need to get away from it and they had too much time they would get themselves into trouble they'd get bored and so then clubs looked at it and said well hang on why don't we educate these people as they're going through so now most footballers will go away and and do some education do some training understand do something else so it's absolutely possible because although your focus is on a particular goal which is to go and be a great sports person or whatever it might be you've still got to sleep you've still got to eat you've still got to have a friendship circle you've still got other things that you want to go away from that sport and then come back to it and so the question is what are they doing when they go away from the sport so if you've got something meaningful that you can get stuck into whether it's um you know going to to get a part-time job getting a degree and that degree can take longer and and sports clubs are great at at aligning with unis and those sort of things to be able to help people so there's a time and place it doesn't necessarily have to be in the same mold as everybody else going through but the truth is yeah it it is possible and it's ridiculously important and it's probably more important for the athlete post their games than it is during the games or during their career and the reason for that is because if you haven't got anything to look forward to then you've got this lull but if you've got other things so fortunately for me I love traveling the world as a speaker and and i literally had speaking engagements all the time booked in so whenever i was finished things i'd already set new goals yeah. I, I was forever if you've got a goal to do something in four years time well that is a fair chance that you've set that goal four years out right you don't all of a sudden stop setting goals just because that one's set well what happens in two years what's your four-year goal then what's the yeah. one for two years yeah. past that so the key is not to forget that to tap in and, and just make sure you keep checking in on you in life. It's easy not to do it, 
and that's why it's important to have good people around. It's important to go, well, where do we get, where are our influences come from? Yeah. Are we distracted all day, every day on bloody TikTok or <laughs> something else? Tell you what, we are. We yeah. are well, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but what I am saying is you've just got to say there's a time and place for it. Yeah. I have that addictive nature with things. So, like, the, remember the, you blokes might have got onto this. I don't know, there was a pigs thing where you shoot the pigs, angry pigs or angry birds. Or angry, angry birds. birds. Oh, yeah, right? yeah. I, I was bloody into that the whole time. Loved it. You know, I was just trying to get high scores. <laughs> And it's like, then I just take a step and go, this has consumed me. Like yeah. I wake up, I'm reaching for it. I like, same with TikTok. All of these yeah. things are like very, very consuming. Mm. So the key is to identify, go, there's a place for that. And I deleted off my, my phone. I deleted notifications off my phone because every time a notification will pop up, I'll go to my phone and I'd want to get and respond and say, so it's like some things you just go, that's going to help me or it's not going to help me. And I'm not saying taking notifications off everyone's device is good but what i notice is that i'd click on facebook or insta or bloody twitter or whatever it was i'd only jump on it once a day as opposed to six times yeah. a day when notifications pop up mm. you know i put myself back in control nice. and that's what we have to do with our life yeah we just have to say right it's our life how do we want to how do we want to guide it you know what do we want to do with it and and that's what i love about your podcast you know you're, you're helping people that have been told all their life this is what you've got to do but they forget or sometimes just not reminded that it's actually about them. Yeah. It's it's what they want to do and, and stuffing up's part of it. Yeah. And and owning that is, and also celebrating the highs. But also I'm a big fan of, of not celebrating but but being present. Being mm. present for, for the lows, for, for everything. Yeah. When you're present, even if it's a shitty situation, a funeral is probably the shittiest situation I can think of. And we've been to those and they're tough, right? And I don't think there's a tougher place on the planet as a speaker than to speak at a funeral. And unfortunately, I've spoke at a few. And when you're in that moment, it doesn't mean that that moment then needs to be deleted or erased or, or you can't celebrate or take something from that. The real value about being present is wherever we are is being in that moment. And I'll tell you what, you come away from that and you you think about, go, wow, you celebrate somebody's life at the funeral, you you get a chance on the highs. Like there's four years, let's go the, the other end, the ecstasy of what it's like to be on the podium, right? Yeah. You work four years and you get a chance to stand on the podium. You're only on there as long as your national anthem and about another 30 seconds. Yeah. So like four years for, let's be honest, less than about three minutes. It's not a lot when you put it in the context. But if your whole premise of what it is relies on that three minutes, then you wouldn't waste four years buddy, chasing yeah. that, would you? So it's not about that. It's about being present. It's about the learning from life. And that's what you know. I often reflect, how can I learn from this? What can I take from today? I love the fact yeah. that you blokes open with the fact that you're stuffed up. Like, yeah. what an awesome thing in life to go, mate, Yeah, we're owning this. I'm glad it was with you. I must say some of our other guests would have been a bit more yeah. scared to make the phone call. But I was going to say, Don, I'm looking forward to talking a bit about your athletic career and the Olympics and some of these massive highs. But, you know, we've been lucky enough to speak with footballers, basketballers, Aussie rules players and some guys that have, and girls that have got to the absolute pinnacle. And we've heard a little bit about their lows, but in those sports, often when a loss comes in basketball, it could be three days later before you can go and fix that. Or mm. in football, it might be a week. When we hear about Olympians, I think we only really hear the gold medalist side of things. And I'm interested to hear about, going back to what you said before, when things don't go your way and you've worked four years for it, 
take us behind the scenes to those moments, what you actually feel in those moments. Yeah, in, in the actual moment, and I'll, I'll clarify a couple of things. One, when I look at Olympians, uh, hats off, like mm. I, I absolutely rate Olympians for the fact that I believe they're, to be an Olympian is an incredible thing. Yeah. And to be a Paralympian is, I'm equally proud to be a Paralympian. Yeah. But the uh, the reality is the the pool to compete at the Paralympics is a lot smaller than the pool to compete at the Olympic Games. And so if I was to say I'm an Olympian, I'd say I'm not, quite simply because, you know, there's a couple of criteria. One, to go to the Paralympic Games, you need to have a disability. So that shrinks the pool a fair bit. Mm. But the, the reality is you're still competing against the best athletes in the world. So I'm not taking anything away from that. What I will say is that I believe the the feelings of Olympian, Paralympian, human that's had a goal and pursued it are the same yeah okay so it, like i see my little boy and who's 10 and when he finally gets to do his shoelaces up for the first time that smile that comes from the inside that can't help it but he lift his face up because he goes i did this dad yeah you know that is the same feeling that athletes get when they're standing on the podium is like oh bloody did this yeah. you know like you don't get a different feeling it's the same feeling and so I, I would love people to understand that like setting yourself for a goal it's personal not everyone wants to go to the olympics and not mm. everybody can and will but when you achieve that it, it's it's ecstasy it is literally yeah. why i believe a lot of athletes don't take drugs is because the feeling i don't know and I, i've never taken a drug in my life and it's not the city and say oh i'm body drug you know i'm yeah. clean i'm angel nah buddy you know it's just simply to say drugs aren't my thing yeah. and i don't think that i actually don't think that taking drugs would live up to the expectation that i think you can get out of life if yeah. you're present the flip side to that is the devastation, the gut-wrenching, the crying yourself to sleep when you don't achieve your goal. Mm. And and it can hurt like because it's nobody ever goes to the Olympic Games on their own. There's always typically a mum and dad who's planted that seed as a kid. There's a brother or sister whose body might never have seen them compete until they've got to you know a, a yeah. huge competition. There's coaches that have put in hours and hours and hours of bloody work, usually for stuff all, to help this person achieve. There's physios, there's osteos, there's yeah. there's a team of people, and usually at the Olympics and Paralympics at that level, you've also got the addition of the Australian Sports Commissioner involved around the education side of things. You've got the institutes of sport, so there's a whole lot of people involved. And then, of course, there's fans, there's supporters yeah, that, yeah. that you can feel like you're you're taking them with you. You know, that's usually what you want to do is you want to have them sharing the joy. Sure. But the devastation of missing out, often you'll feel very bloody lonely. When you miss out, you, you feel like you've failed. I think the missing out on the team is often harder than missing out on missing out on the medal that yeah, or, okay. or missing out on a medal. Or Like I was fortunate in my three Paralympic Games to, to not medal in Atlanta to get a bronze medal in Sydney and then to get three medals in Athens. So yeah. like I was pretty fortunate in that time and I say fortunate to not get one because that bloody made me really, really hungry to, you know, to get into the team. And interestingly, before I actually got into my first Paralympic Games, I missed out on a game. So I missed out on the Barcelona Paralympic okay. Games in 92. So I was, at first when I missed out, I thought, get stuffed, I'm done. I'm How not, old were you at this I was time? 16. Okay. Wow. So I was at an age where I was like just hellbent on... You were hungry. I was, I was yeah. like, right, what can I do with my life? Like I was just like how cool will this be and so all of a sudden I had this at 14 years of age 
this desire to just I'd learned a bit about Paralympics I'd heard a little bit about it I wanted to be a part of it and then to go away to states and national championships and you see people that are Australian reps and you go I want to be like that I want that uniform I want I want the swagger (laughs) I want what they've got mate you know like (laughs) they've got it going on so yeah yeah it just it, it just grows and grows and grows so all of this is just fuel for where you want to go and then all of a sudden it feels like when you get that disappointment so it just ripped out from under you so whole, it's deflating is an understatement. Mm. And this is the, the really, really critical thing about having a great support network around you. Because without that support network, you feel like you're alone, but you've actually the loneliness stays longer and you haven't got somebody just to share it with, somebody to vent with. Because when you miss out, yeah. you're angry. You're bloody angry because in my situation, I train 12 times a week in the lead up to competition. So every morning before work and every afternoon after work, I wasn't a paid athlete. Holy and I train yeah. on the weekends and then compete. Like that's how committed. So you, you get so invested in this. Wow. Like I, I train Christmas morning on the belief that my competitors on the other side of the world weren't training. And that would be one more session I would get that they yeah. wouldn't get. At Christmas lunch, it was a running joke for bloody years that I'd be asleep at every Christmas lunch because I, I was spent mate you know you, yeah. we know about grandpa and whatever going off that was, I was at so. young 18 year old Don that's right I was, I was gone mate Zonk. but the truth is it, it, you get results but when you miss out on those results it, it hurts and so yeah. the pain is real most important thing I believe is is being able to put it in context I remember having one, I'd been to the Sydney Games, what well, did okay, got a bronze medal, went overseas and uh, went to Bali, had a few mates and we just said, <laughs> right, let's just go and unwind. And in the lead up to Sydney, like I knew, depending on the temperature on the day, how much water I had to drink, I knew exactly what snack, yeah. I knew if I didn't, like I my, I was ripped, you know, I was in really good shape. We, was, we watched a video this morning, you, you are ripped. Yeah, it, yeah. Were, were, thank you. So <laughs> I've eaten a lot of pies since then. But the truth is, like you, you just knew what you had to do so this is all like think about this too it's all voluntary like it's all in pursuit of this goal yeah and so then you you do that you go and unwind when i unwind i was like buddy great game on so then all of a sudden over just a few weeks i'd put on about four kilos i went to go back to training because new goals were i'm gonna go to athens couldn't fit into my leg i was too fat so like i literally i'd chubbied up so much in that short period of time from doing no training so imagine going from 12 sessions a week to nothing and then all those things you said no to, all the pies and the drinks and saying yes to all of it. It's like, <laughs> it's a reverse, right? And so then I thought, geez, what am I going to do? I got my leg on. I, I did, I rode my bike. I was living in Hyatt at the time. I'd ride my bike into the city every day in my excess of my racer and uh, and I lost the, the weight quick enough, got serious, switched back on, went and then did my first, what we called it testing and there was a whole lot of like standing start, you know, vertical jumps or, you know, uh, you do a whole lot of testing so that you get an idea and the coach then would have the book of what we had to do to get better and I did my testing, I had a 30 second run and I, my PB for the 200 meters, it was 2509, 2509 for the 200. And then, so realistically, in 30 seconds, I should have been able to get around about 250 meters or 240, yep. 230, somewhere around there. I struggled to make 200 meters at this first testing. Bear in mind, three months before that, I'm on the number three podium in the world as an athlete whose body achieved. I got the results and I just knew where I was at. I sat down, I was at Sandringham Athletics Track and I'm sitting there and I just started crying actually because I thought, I'm screwed. And my coach come up to me and goes, mate, what's up? And I said, oh, 
Coach, you got the bloody notebook, mate. You tell me, I'm done. And then he said, well, what's your goal? I said, well, my goal is to be the number one below knee amputee pentathlete in the world. He said, right. And when are we going to do that, Don? I said, the 2004 Athens Paralympic Games. He said, what's a date? I said, it's January 2001. He goes, so you're crying about something that's going to happen in four years today. He goes, don't you reckon we've got a bit of time to rescue this? <laughs> and you know what? And, and it's that little wow. piece of perspective that actually helps you understand. You go, who am I kidding? You know, so that was the uppercut that I needed. Nowhere near as harsh as the one the old man gave me with <laughs> the, like you know, one leg, mate, deal with it. But the truth is we need those from time to time. Yeah. It's, it's that little bit that helps you go, well, hang on a minute. So even when we fail or we don't achieve the expectations that we set for ourselves, the really, really important thing is to come away from that and go, well, where are we at? Mm, you know, yeah. In actual fact, we're still at the bloody Paralympic Games. We're still, yeah. you know, the top, you know, tiny little echelon in the world. How bad is it? So when you breathe and you take a breath and often when you step back and have a look at things, it's usually nowhere near as bad as we think mm. it is. How does an everyday person set some goals or a goal? Like what do, what do you know about some basic fundamentals that come with, you know, like you said earlier, you don't have to, not everyone's going to be a Paralympian or Olympian. What, how do we, how does the everyday person who doesn't really have a goal outside of their career, what, where should they look? Well, I think the, they should look internally. They should look at what makes it heart tick. You know, when you're doing something and you love doing it and everyone else says stuff and I'm going home and you still love doing it, whether it's kicking a footy, it doesn't matter what it is. Uh, the thing is, listen to what, what your heart tells you because it won't lie. You know, your gut tells you if you're in the right spot or not. Yeah. The second thing is that goals for me are simple and people forget or don't consider that the blueprint for the future is not written. Mm. So for me, I just figured... Stuff it. No one has already told me in the lead up to the Athens Games, Don, don't train too hard because we're giving this guy the gold, this one gets a silver and he gets a bronze. Yeah. You'll be wherever. That, that's not decided. So I figure, well, I'm going to write myself into that. Yeah. So aiming high, for me, I, I never said oh, I want to finish second. It was like, right, game on. What's the highest thing? I'm going to have a crack at that, right? And so it was always like, because that's me in terms of being an optimist, being somebody who, who aims high. I've got no issues with, and not everyone's going to do that. And that's okay. The key is to know who you are and where you're aiming, right? The other most critical thing about a goal, so first thing is nothing's off limits. The second thing is set a time frame. If you do not have a time that you're going to commit yourself to something happening, it's just a dream. It's just wishy-washy. And then at some point you'll go, oh, I'm going to do that. Gunner's crap. You're either doing it or you're not. So and doesn't mean you're nailing it. It just means you're doing it. Yeah. All right. So the, the whole word of try, I'll just go, uh-huh. I'm going to vomit in my mouth when I hear try because <laughs> I go, there is no try. You're either doing it or you're not. Yeah. So having the, the goal of being the best athlete in the world, sure, failed that goal. But did I fail... The, the journey and what I put myself in life? No, absolutely not. Mm. You know, I come away from that. So it's keeping it real. But my advice is just think about what you want to do, set a time frame to do it, have a crack at it. Mm. And don't forget, every great team reviews. So at some point you might review at the end of, like every footy team reviews every Monday. Pencil it in, they'll be in the room watching the video, who the coaches have already watched it and going through and pointing stuff out. So all great teams review. And all people should review. And that means that if your goal is, and the way I set my goal, right, I'm a pretty simple man, right? So I like things <laughs> to be visual and easy to follow. If you think about a ladder, 
and you just got a ladder, put it up against the wall. It's pretty easy. It's got a whole lot of rungs on it, a lot of steps on it. First thing you do, set a goal, is go, right, where do I want to be? How high do I want to go? And you just go, I want to be at the Paralympics, right? So for me, the Paralympic Games is the goal. That's the pinnacle. I'll put that up there. The next thing you do is go, where am I right now? Because that's really important. Yeah. And so you need that. That goes at the bottom because the now's the real. The now's what you're going to take into that. And then you say, right, to get to the Paralympics, two years out from that, I need to be at World Champs. So World Champs needs to go on a rung. To get to World Champs, I need to be one of the best in Australia. So Australian nationals need to. So you're just working backwards at this stage. And then to get to nationals, I need to be the best in the state. So just write state on one of those steps. To get to state, I have to qualify for states by going to inter-club each week. So inter-club has to be on there. To get to inter-club and improve, I need to go to training. I'm probably going to have to train a bit because, you know, I'm, I'm going to be the best in the state and the country and the world. So then I'm going to put training 12 times. And then just break it down. Keep going backwards, yeah, backwards, backwards. To get to training every day, I'm going to need my alarm clock and my bag packed the night before. Love so. This. All of a sudden, you've got this blueprint that just walks you through to the pinnacle. But you have to spend your time setting that up first. And then, seriously, you can break it down to the hour, if you like. You can break it down to the day, the week, the month, the year. But as soon as you've done that, and the other thing, now that you've got the blueprint for your where you want to go, you've got the, your ladder sorted out, don't focus all the time up there. Don't mm-hmm. focus on focus on the step you're on. Every now and then you're going to need some inspiration. Right, stand back and have a look at where you're heading. <laughs> yeah. The pinnacle, that's the one. Right, oh, good. Back to interclub now. I'll just focus nailing this. Back to this week's training. Good, I'm knackered. It's Thursday. All my mates are starting to go out. Uh, what's the goal? Right, goal is yeah. bang. And it just helps keep you on track. So, yeah, goals are for everyone and it shouldn't be complicated and hard for anyone to set a goal. you just got to have a couple of ideas where you want to go and when you want to do it. How good. I'm really glad you asked that because, I mean, how many times going through school and uni do we hear about goal setting? And, I, I mean, we both set heaps of goals all the time, but I've never actually heard that perspective and... It's, I found it really helpful. Well, look, I, I'm a big fan of that because simplifying to the T makes it achievable for everyone. Hearing you say, set the alarm clock and I have to, like, everyone can do that. Yeah. Like, in yeah. whatever their goal is. But, like, everyone just, everyone's always looking at the top too much. Way too much. And and then it's it's like a meal. If you sit down to a meal, you know, Salatas did it great. You know, they did this <laughs> ad. They said, all right, here's bite size, meal size. You know, and they just yeah. said, right, if you eat the whole lot, it's the meal. If you eat just this one little square, it's just a bite size, you know. And, yeah. and it's the whole concept of when you're achieving things, you just need to just just do it one bite at a time. Doing Kokoda, like seriously, I trekked Kokoda a couple of times. Yeah. It was tough, like physically tough. I think emotionally and mentally, it's as tough a thing as I've ever done in my life and the truth is if you were to say to me Don you're going to be doing 96 k's through intrepid like in just in hideous terrain and you're going to come out the other side in eight days time or whatever it is seven nights you might spend doing different people do it different times and your leg's going to bloody be belted and you're going to get infected halfway through the trek. You just go, no way. Like, I'm not sure that I can do that. But then when you're out trekking and training and you're looking at this mountain, whether it's Mount Dandenong, you're doing that for training or whatever it is, you just keep telling yourself, I've just got to take one more step. Yeah. It's got to take one more step. And it's all, and there's smaller steps too, not these giant steps, just small steps. Yeah. Tiny little just keep chipping away at it. And exactly the same for goals, mate. I love it. I want to ask, as we sort of get towards the end of the pod, some of the highs of your career. And I'm really interested about the Sydney 2000 
in this country, it's just, you know, everybody talks about it. It's so famous, yeah. but especially your performance and, you know, our favorite, our favorite hundred meter race. I mean, how you ran it so quick is still beyond both of us, but I just love the way this, at the start of the race, you know, you're very tanned, good-looking bloke. Got the chain, <laughs> chiseled, chiseled, chiseled. The oh, chain yeah. around the neck and the wink to the camera was our favourite part too. But <laughs> that race, let, talk us through that race because you come from a long way back. It's, uh... Well, I did bloody come from a long way. Okay, I, I have to back up a little bit first. So you said the wink at the camera. There's a little thumbs up there yeah, too, right? Yeah. So this happens because I know, like again, you, you do your research and you know at the games, at some point there's going to be a camera that's in your face yep. and, and you've got like, I don't know, 30 seconds of, of you time. Yep. What are you going to do with it? I've, I've got the feeling you quite enjoyed that, that well, 30 seconds. Well, <laughs> right on. So for me, that figure, well, what am I going to do? It's going to be there. Am I going to be awkward? Or it's like, no, actually, I'm body up. And I, I perform better when I'm relaxed and happy yeah. and I, I'm not restricted, right? Yeah. And so every day at training, my coach would say, right, on your marks, we're going to do starts. And just before I'd go down into the blocks, I'd wave to the pine trees. Right? I'd give them a wave and a wink and a thumbs up because I'd go, you're my camera. You're my, like, yeah, you're yeah, my people, yeah. right? Yeah. So you, it's just you and your coach, no one else about. And you just go, yeah, that's now, but I'm preparing for the big stage. There's going to be people, right? Yeah. So, uh, well, you hope there's going to be people. But anyway, the... Um, the thing is, I'm in the block, so camera's on me. I'm really relaxed. So I game on, mate. I'm happy, thumbs up. Gun goes, worst start I've had in my career. It is a shocker. Like, seriously, I was sleeping beauty in the blocks. The guns are gone. And people are five metres out. I was like, got to go. So I get going. At the 50-metre mark, I'm about five metres down yep. behind. And the guy who I suspected would win it is on my inside, uh, Urs Collie. A Swiss athlete and bloody gun. Chiseled. You reckon I was chiseled, mate? This guy had a rig to die for. <laughs> and, um, and, and I think at that point, I go, I've got a choice. And my coach would often say, Don, what are you thinking about when you're running? I go, I'm thinking about my shoulders. And he goes, don't think. Don't think. You don't have time to think. Just relax and know that feeling. Yeah. So at that 50 meter mark, when I'm five meters down, what pops in my head is my coach, just relax and run your race. The next thing that happened is my shoulders drop. I relaxed through my face and I stopped the tense of going, shit, I'm behind. And then I just relaxed and ran my race. And that's when I started to really run. And fortunately, the video shows that I did. I come from oh, yeah. behind, but I get up and I win the race. And, it's, and it is a, an incredible feeling to go, you little, like inside, mate, I wanted to go, you bloody ripper, you know, I'm jumping out of my skin. But I, I just thought, no, I'm not done yet. This is the third event out of yeah, five events. Yeah, I've got to keep it together. So I didn't want to give all my cards away that yeah. I am so bloody happy yeah, that yeah, I've yeah. had this win. So I just kept this real calm face and I ran it across yeah. the track and I'll tell you, I was bursting, oh, mate. And this is where things went a bit pear-shaped for me. So that put me up into second spot. And the um, I was sitting in third prior to that race, up into second at the discus, which is the fourth event. Yeah. So we had a break and then we come back in the evening session for the discus. And now this is not what's not on the video, right? Is where all... <laughs> all lined up for the, to do the discus. The camera comes along. It's in our face. I've got Thomas Bourgeois from America beside me. He elbows me and goes, Don, look up on the screen. And uh, I looked up on the screen. And instead of the camera being on me, the cameraman had found my family in the stadium and had my wife and my, my two-year-old daughter with a Go Dad shirt on. Oh. And I looked at that. I looked at the screen. I just started crying. Oh, I was like, I was gone. I was like, holy shit, this is... The most special time my entire life. Like my goal was to go to the games and win a medal with my family there. I'm at the games, I'm in a medal winning position and my family's there. So like, boom, at that point, I was just like, I've lost it. Emotionally, I wasn't ready for how overwhelming it would be. 
And I had three throws at the Sydney 2000 Paralympic Games in the discus, fourth event of the pentathlon, crying. And you'll never see it, but I was bawling. I was just like, it took me all of discus to get over the fact that this Mm. is the greatest moment of my life. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, In sporting life, not my life so much, like the birth of my daughter and then later on my other two daughters, my son, without doubt in their own stratosphere when it comes to how awesome life can be for me. But definitely that moment to see my daughter there was bloody amazing. My wife and my family, that was just unreal. And so then I dropped from silver into the bronze position and it's like, right, you better get your shit together or your whole want to win a medal thing is not going to happen. So then, I I literally had to run my guts out in the last event at the end of the day and fortunately I come home in What was dec- the last event, sorry? The 400 metres Okay And no one ever runs a 400 metres without pain because you either don't run it well or properly or simply you run it well and it hurts yeah. so it's that easy it's a tough distance isn't it it just extracts yeah. it's, it's everything punishment. from you yeah. it yeah. is it, it is yeah. just bloody hard it's you use all your anaerobic and capacity and Horrible like you're just spent anyway yeah. the uh, I was fortunate to to run it I come home strong with this just bloody rugged determination this dead set grit I just grabbed everything I could and, and to win that medal in my own country you know even just <laughs> yeah, that's it. we just think the reality of going through sport uh, being an athlete Athlete, and then having the games come to your city yeah. when you're at your prime. Yeah. Like, what are the chances? Like, it's, no. you know, there's all these Olympics and Paralympics around the world. What are the chances of the games being in your city, in your country, when you're in the age group and the right time of your life to be there and yeah. compete? That's pretty rare. That's why we talk about it. That's why, because there was no time difference when we all watched Freeman run 0400. Mm. You know, mm. there was, when Lauren Burns got up and, yeah. you know, like, we... We were able to see that real time that our people. So that's why we talk about it. it's so special. Yeah, what was it like that Olympic Games, being in Australia, but you're watching everyone, all your mates and, yeah. and everyone that you've trained with that, like they're all succeeding on the big stage in your own country. Like the party must have been huge. Like, it was, it's unbelievable because what happens? You've got the Olympics, and about three weeks later, you've got the Paralympics. Yeah. So every time you're watching, you know, the Olympics, particularly athletics, you go right. They're in that lane. Like so and so won in that lane. That, yeah, you got to get that, that lane. lane. That's got to be right. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, so yeah. you you have all this stuff, and you because you've and you've done events in the lead up to it. Like you you spend time with people. Like I trained with Lauren Burns in the gym. Like we Lauren Taekwondo, mate. We didn't do the same sport but we would do road trips together we'd go and speak we're bloody great mates you know yeah. spending that time and then to watch her get that gold medal it was like i remember watching i was in my bed actually and i, I jumped up I was, yeah, it was one yeah. of just one of those moments and same when freeman won hers like and you just we had some time in the lead up to the games and there was a few people that were invited and you know kathy was we all had lunch together a few olympians a few paralympians and it was just to share in what we were going through yeah. you know and because it was really a, a special time and only a, a small unique group of people yeah. were a part of that and so it, it's actually quite difficult sometimes because you get advice from everyone yeah um yeah. But the truth is, no one is really knowing exactly what you're going through. Mm. But this group of people did. So it was a wonderful thing to be able to, you know, to come together and have Michelle Timms, who played basketball for Australia, you know, and you, you hear stories about what people go through. You know, people that would, would throw up before they'd go out on court because of anxiety and all this sort of stuff. And it such an awesome thing to be able to go wow this company knows that feeling this company knows what it's like to train on christmas morning you know and so that was a really cool space to be in and along with that is the people the relationships you you form with people you know that 20 years later yeah 
you know, you still have today. Enough. So it's yeah, yeah it's it, it is pretty special. It's bloody yeah. awesome. We have to ask, especially on behalf of probably a lot of the listeners. Um, I'm not saying you're involved, but the Olympic Village. The rumours that we hear. What can you what what can you say? <laughs> Not what you can't. What are you allowed to say? Was well, it true that there's just is like it, is it true? Uh, millions of condoms just yeah. everywhere? There's They're sponsored a, by condoms, aren't they? Like, there is a lot of condoms. You guys had to go through there three weeks after. Fortunately, they put the cleaners through before we got there. <laughs> but they, do you know that. there's double the amount of condoms used at the Paralympics? Really? Yeah. Well, they don't want us to breed. You see, so they do <laughs> know they don't. <laughs> No, they, uh, it's, I'll tell you what is great about the Olympic Village, and you'll hear this, the stories, the stories just, um, well, they seem to grow and grow and grow, but the, the wonderful thing I can tell you about the Olympic Village, and the Paralympic, well, Olympic Village, I don't know because I wasn't there, but the Paralympic Village, the thing that everybody has is, you know when you go to a nightclub, there's the initial, I've got to break the ice, like how do I, like do you come here much, or you know, you try something, whatever. I hope can that's I, not what you went with, Can, can I get you a drink? <laughs> Well, you know, there's, there, yeah. there's a breaking the ice moment. Yeah, the breaking the ice is already done mm. at the village because every like, wow, you know, here's an athlete. You're here. You could be sitting opposite somebody at the dining hall, and and so conversation's easy. Conversation mm. is easy. It's like, well, hey, how's training? Boom, you know, you've got that. Unless yeah. it's somebody team manager who's not doing training, go shit, crash and burn there. But no, the, the truth is, <laughs> like, it, it's you're actually yeah. amongst your own people. Yeah. So it's really, really easy to be able to connect. So I'm not surprised that there's a lot of people have worked really hard, got themselves in great shape, and then after their competition have a lot of downtime and need to use that energy up somehow. So oh, I say, I say, bloody good on them if yeah, they got absolutely. to that point. So, absolutely. Yeah. We're kind of coming towards the end. What is your definition of success? I'd be interested to hear because you've succeeded in so many different areas of your life. So for one, you've succeeded in your, your sport during your sporting career. But then post-career, you've found a job that you enjoy and you're passionate about. You've had children, all healthy and well. Hawthorne won three flags for a while there. So, <laughs> you know, life, life is pretty good. And you're a speaker across the world. What do you define as success in your, your eyes? Honestly, for me, it's happiness. People that are successful, in my opinion, if they can get up one more time than the knockdown. So regardless of you know what direction, what pursuit we have in life, whether it's to be a rock star, put an album out, or fill a stadium, if if we get up one more time than we're knocked down, because the truth is, life is going to knock us down. Whatever it is, it's going to. The really successful people are the ones that are happy doing what they're doing, happy in their own skin, happy with their environment, and have the courage to change what they don't like. So for me, I worked out, for me, my value on whether I've had a great life at the end of my life, just before the lights are out, when I can look back, am I able to say to myself, you found happiness in these areas and you held on to it for as long as you could and you pursued happiness. So because that, that really, I think, is will lead us to wherever we want to go. If we're miserable day in, day out, then we cannot possibly be successful because success might have a shitload of money in the bank account, might might have all these other measures of success, but 
ultimately do you put your head on the pillow, mm. look back and go, what a bloody great day. I cannot <laughs> wait for tomorrow. Yeah. That for me is success. Wow. If I can do that more often than not, I'm succeeding. Hey, good. I love it. It's a great way to end on. Final question just before we, we end it. For, for people that want to get involved with you, maybe even mention Staramp and a little bit about what that's all about too. Yeah, for sure. So I started a company years ago called Staramp Global, literally managing amputees because I figured that, you know, there was going to be another mini me somewhere along the line <laughs> coming through doing great stuff. And I wanted to help them, you know, not have the same pitfalls that I had, you know, help them with uh, that. I realized why there was no other company like it because it doesn't make much money. Yeah. So, um, but the truth is I, I spend a lot of my time as a motivational speaker. I love traveling the world. I love meeting people and, and hearing and learning. I, I say to a lot of people, I've never invented anything. All I've done is interpret what the world's thrown at me, what the universe has given me. And then I've made sense mm-hmm. of that and I share that with other people. So whether it's, you know, through tips and tricks about how to set a goal whether it's just i'm a storyteller i love to share my story and i just happen to be the main character of the most awesome story i know at the moment the other thing i do on any given day is i literally i work for one community i bring people together in the disability sector in through networking events to help people you know live their best life and i really really rate that opportunity so mate i don't hide i think i'm still in the white pages actually i'm very easy to find <laughs> but for those of you more google-minded um my dad said to me mate, keep things simple as you go through life so my website is all the w's donelgan.com.au so yeah www.donelgan.com.au that makes uh, life easy doesn't it jump yeah. straight on that say g'day buddy send a review or uh, of course and you've just, got a podcast too got a podcast i've been flat out like a lizard drinking mate so the podcast is taking a bit of a hit the old giddy up podcast but seriously out of all things i could say today this is probably my favorite podcast so i'm because Stop I'm it. on yours. Oh. So this is like, I'm loving your work, fellas. What you're doing, just keep it up. Thanks, Don. Thank Thanks. You, and Don. also, too, we'll, um, put that to the camera there. Look at that. One foot beyond the podium at Don Elgin. So uh, we'll put a link for people to get a copy of this and we'll read it and uh, give you a little review, too. Yeah, awesome. So that's book number two. First book is book uh, book one, obviously. One foot on the podium and then one foot beyond the podium. So, oh, yeah, uh, okay. yeah I, I won't tell you how they end, but so okay. far they're still going. Exciting. So, yeah, oh, it's good. Part three coming Watch this space. Thanks, Don. Thanks, John. Thanks for having me, fellas. Dee, wasn't that episode just awesome? Oh, mate, I got so much out of it. I'm sure you did too. And, of course, thank you to everyone who listened. Guys, if you haven't already, go and subscribe to the podcast over on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. For sure. And please leave us a five-star review on Apple. It goes such a long way to helping the show. And, of course, you have your chance to get a shout-out. Don't forget to go and follow us over on Instagram as well. What's the Instagram, Dee? It's at D underscore. D-O-S-A-N-D-D underscore. See you next week. (laughs) (laughs) We'll see you in the next episode. 